You're listening to Tech Talk Central. So, welcome to Tech Talk Central, first podcast. I must say that I'm sort of nervous. This is the first time we're doing it. And I think it's a, it's a great time because we are now at 10,000 plays on SoundCloud. We've done around 220 interviews and we've got 10,000 plays. And we decided to do our very own podcast, starting out with what we have learned, meeting all these people, traveling to events, what we learn, and hopefully it'll be something interesting and people want to listen to it. Do, I do apologize for any mistakes we make. Um, it's easier asking the questions. It's more difficult being on the other side and uh, putting in your own opinion. So, um, one of the events we covered really recently was the eHealth Forum in Athens. That was quite interesting. There was uh, We did a few interviews before we went to the event, during, and we actually did another one after the event. And it's a conversation, eHealth, that we will be talking on uh, quite often. Um, it involved a lot of interoperability, a lot of data issues, privacy, policies, standards, and strategy. Um, some of the interviews we managed to do there was with Clemens Auer, Director General of the Austrian Federal Uni Ministry of Health, George Crooks, who's Medical Director of NHS24, Richard Bergstrom, also Director General of FPA, which is the Association of Pharmaceuticals in Europe. We did a lot more, and you can find them on SoundCloud, so just go soundcloud.com, Tech Talk Central. With me is almost the biggest, the, the main part of our team, um, Vagelis Adonianis, who's producer, Yanis Rizopoulos, who's host and journalist, Sakis Redafilakis, who's also host and regularly does our social media, and we also have our technicians with us, Nick Spanodakis and Marcos Rutsinos, we will not actually be uh, inputting something right this time, but hopefully in the future they might have some interesting stuff on podcasting and all the technical things that go behind producing um, all this program and the live and the podcast that we upload on SoundCloud. So, um, first of all, I think everybody should say hi. Hello, this is Yanis. Good afternoon, this is Vagalis. And I think Sakis, are you there? Yeah. Hello from me. I'm Sakis Tredafilakis. So, um, I don't know, Marcos Nikos, do you want to say hello and say what you do on TikTok Central, Marco? Uh, he's the shy one. So, we'll, we'll, he'll bug in at the hello. end. Hello. Oh, nice to hear you, Marco. Nico, are you there? He's a broadcasting um, persona, as we say, and he is usually responsible for the whole program. He did mention something about hanging clothes. Are you there? Yes. Nico? Sorry about, uh, sorry about my connection. It's a little bad this time. Yeah, well, you, we just wanted a hello from you, so thank you on that. Okay, so um, <laughs> I think, well, I'll go first with a very long subject. Hopefully I'll try to keep it short. One of the questions we asked during the health forum was, um, do we need medical software certification? You know, all those applications that are being produced, all those wellness, fitness applications, the one that monitors how much you run, where you run to. Um, so I don't know if you thought about it, but there is a privacy issue and data issue and security issue. There's a lot of issues there. So um, where are these data 
sort of coming from, who's sending them out, and where are they ending up. As one of our speakers said, it's nice to share on Facebook, but you, you, know, you think you don't want to know, but you really want to know how your data is being transmitted. So one of the questions we had, one of the topics that we raised during this eHealth forum was what happens, what happens, we actually, sorry, we monitored, we saw that NHS, which is the National Health System for the UK, had put up a list of apps that were actually sending data unencrypted. And this was an issue. Uh, to be honest, it has been up downloaded since then. I really want to consider that it was our doing, but it wasn't probably, there was a lot of um, uh, news about this on, online. So they put it down. But then we went ahead and asked different stakeholders on what's going on. So what we heard is, we interviewed a lot of people about this, but in short, they seem to divide it between wellness, well-being apps, and clinical uh, medical applications, as they call them. When it comes to medical applications, the laws are in there, there's regulations, and as long as everybody follows these standards and they conform to them, um, I think it'll be okay. Actually, Dr. Clemens Auer, who's uh, responsible, as I said, for the e-health system in, uh, for the health system in Ministry of Health in uh, Austria, he said, if you want to collaborate with public systems, you've got to conform to standards or else you won't go through. Now, going to wellness applications, there was a bigger conversation as to what kind of regulation should there be? And the truth is, most of them didn't really talk about um, a set of regulations, like strict regulations. They talked about common sense, uh, protecting the data, making sure you, the data that you have on your application, one you're creating, is being um, transmitted, encrypted, and properly, um, and that you have to conform to specific standards. Um, to, and you probably will ask, where are those standards? Uh, I keep hearing this blink noise, um, headphones, not sure. It's from one of my colleagues. Um, but to continue on that, concerning the standards, there is, I must say, from the European Union, we did hear that there is a code of conduct, which means that the European Union, on the 30th of November, actually published uh, like a strategy, a statement, something saying that these are kind of the guidelines that uh, should be followed. I know they had the conversation December the 7th. So maybe that's a good starting point. Uh, can I interrupt you, Victor? Yeah. Uh, okay, um, I can understand all this thing about certification and uh, policies and uh, security and things like that, but I tend to believe that uh, the distinction between wellness or well-being apps and uh, uh, pure or core health apps is a bit like a trick to overcome all these certification and regulations because uh, it is normal or, it is, or everyone expects that um, health apps need certification but uh, we are more flexible or uh, I don't know how, how to call it but we are okay if we use a wellness app uh, and we don't expect a certification for that app. What is the, the current status? I mean, what the European Union or the, all these uh, policy makers think about that? Do we need 
the same strict certification and policies for wellness apps as well, or there will be some kind of distinction between wellness and health, and this will be actually the, the, the way to overcome all the certification for the app makers. Well, we did the same question, exactly the same question that you raised right now. If I think they all want some sort of certification or assessment, as they said. Um, to be honest, I tend to agree with them because think of it like this. Just Let's just go further than mobile um, health apps and let's think about Internet of Things. So tomorrow we'll, our own house or our car will actually be monitoring us. So let's say I'm driving my car and I suddenly start having a something like a heart attack. It could be an anxiety attack that could actually lead to an accident. Um, so through my hands on the wheel, it can understand, my car can understand that there's something wrong. And suddenly it doesn't do anything about it. It doesn't stop the car, for example, and which would be something you know, very common or pull me over or something. And it doesn't work properly because the software has not been made properly for the car. And then I, I cause an accident. Of course I will... Uh, accused my car of not doing a proper job and somebody will have to certify that that part of the software that actually controls uh, my health and myself, not controls my health, controls, monitors my health, um, should be certified and, and trusted because I probably will pay thousands of euros to buy it. And then somebody said, I think one of the, one of the best feedbacks I got on that was actually from George Crooks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, whether, uh, no, no, it's Mark Lange, I'm sorry, he's Secretary General for Echtel, and he, what he said, as long as a doctor is prescribing an application, then it should be certified. It belongs to the clinical environment. So that was his differentiator. Um, that is interesting. But then there was a lot of other speakers that actually said when you're uh, sharing all this information, even if, let's say you're obese and you want to lose weight and you, you sort of try and control your application and you want a little bit of social sharing and then you've uh, permitted, you know, like you want to show that when you're losing weight and you want that to go on Facebook, but then maybe you didn't want other data going on there and suddenly it's public. Uh, that would probably make somebody mad, crazy, and they will sue somebody who's responsible. You know, somebody has to... But there was sort of a lot of bottom line, hey, guys, let's certify everything, but that is a bottleneck. So they are, they are, they are, they are serious about talking about, talking about prescribing an application, right? Yeah, it's being done. From what I heard, from what I, uh, they told me, it's, in, it's happening in, another, in other countries, in European countries. It is. Well, I think, Yanni, you had a question on Sakis? Yes, Sakis. Well, um, I, I can agree on everything getting certifications. Uh, it's the obvious thing. But the thing is, like, when you own a company and you have a, a limited budget, then you have to decide uh, which resources are you going to invest and, and basically set up your strategy. Uh, so what exactly is the strategy of mainly Europe on, uh, on certification? Are they willing to certify all the apps? Do they have the resources to do that? And who, who will be able to define the standards between different apps? Because yeah. 
it's it's pretty it's pretty it's it's not really that obvious. It's it's vague. I would say. I, I don't think they're going that way. From what I heard, from what I understand, I don't think they intend to certify anything. I think they're first of all, the European Commission cannot. Um, say to countries what they should be doing. They can just give guidelines, okay? So let's put that first on one side. So what they did is they um, put, put out this uh, code of conduct, uh, which they started the conversation, as I said before, on the November the 30th, and they did another meeting. So what they do is they invite M Health people, responsible, you know, stakeholders, and they're having this conversation. So they will just uh, create a whole standards document and which will be enriched obviously every time, um, and they're just going to publish it, and uh, companies and developers will have to follow them. I have a comment also, Yanis here, and uh, we have some big, big, big eth ethical issues. If we allow software to monitor us and take decisions, we'll have this kind of problems, that's for sure, along with liability issues. Yeah. What if a car, driverless car, hits somebody? or goes according to the law, and because it is programmed to go to walk, to, 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 to run according to the law, and somebody else who doesn't follow the law comes against it. And well, it's, it's a big conversation, I think, for uh, probably in the, in the near future. But, uh, in the very near future, yes. Yeah. That's right. But coming back a little bit to the applications, which actually is a problem of today, um, Henrik Martins, who's uh, working with the Ministry of Health in Portugal, he said something quite clever. Um, we, we, we always talked about medical devices and there's regulations. We all know that. We all expect that everything a doctor uses upon us or every machine has gone through regulations. But there's not so many countries that are producing these uh, medical devices. But now, when it comes to applications, even the youngest developer can create a wellness app just out of his garage, as they say. So he said it's impossible for every single country to assess every single app. So there's going to be some monetary system uh, centrally that will actually, where you, a repository or something where somebody says that I'm this uh, organization and I've assessed this application and I confirm that it applies to all standards. And so then other countries don't do it all from the beginning. So that is one of the problems when it comes to the European Union, because it cannot say you should be doing this. You can't really make a regulator centrally where they regulate all this thing. It has to be on a member state um, case. But it doesn't make sense for every single member to certify different applications in different formats, in different ways, and where are they going to be putting all this up? And then what, what if you're making an application? Do you have to run around to all these countries to have it certified? So there's a lot that's going to be solved there. But it's, I think it's right at the beginning. And that's what everybody actually confessed to me when I said to them, listen, I've done this question to so many different people and I received so many different answers. And they also, most of them sort of laughed and they said, yes, because we're really at the beginning. And then you've got people like Catherine Koronaki, who's the HL7 chair, um, the international HL7, she said, I believe in open data. So that's the only way you can have innovation. So, I, okay, I understand regulations, but we can't really be so stringent about it. And actually, George Crooks from NH7, NHS24 said something similar because he was talking about really strict organizations that don't understand things. And when they don't understand things, what they do is they make these really stringent laws 
And that's something we should also avoid. So both of them talked about innovation and not stifling innovation by doing too much regulations. But it's somewhere in between, I think. So maybe we should go to our next topic. And uh, I think Vagilis, Vagilis it's your first time. On the, you usually do the producing along with me, and this is your first time on the microphone, so uh, I think everybody you know, will cheer you for that, <laughs> taking, for having the courage. So, <laughs> okay, so I think it's going to be something about robotics. How about you start and tell us what you want to talk about today? Actually, the, the subject is it's not exactly about robotics. It is more a socio-economic subject, but it also touches the technology and robots and uh, how humans and robots uh, will coexist in the near future. And um, the thing is that there is uh, there are different opinions and uh, different feelings about how we will uh, live together and how robots will take over human jobs and things like that. Uh, the whole thing started, I think, in somewhere in 2005 when um, a political activist, uh, Rifkin, Mr. Rifkin, Jeremy Rifkin, uh, made, made a case in his book. And he said that uh, most probably in the near future, uh, the whole economic system, our, our system, will be threatened by robots and uh, not exactly how we see that in the movies, but how we watch the movies with uh, robots that take over, they understand their power and take over the, uh, uh, the power over, uh, I mean, human race. But uh, uh, we, we want robots to do all the difficult jobs for us. So. Uh, the next step is that we do almost nothing. I mean, we don't actually work. And uh, then unemployment goes high and uh, the whole economic system as we know it now will collapse. I, I said some, I, I try to simplify things here, but you get the idea. Uh, I think, you, I think I, I'm sorry, I think... You shouldn't have said social, economic. I think you got political in there too. Yeah, uh, you know all these all these different things are uh, related, and um, uh, different opinions. And then we 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 uh, come to a political opinion, and we uh, we come to a political uh, you know. We uh, have political repercussions. Yes. Come again, John. We have political repercussions all around. Yeah, to be honest, this kind of opinions coming from the left-wing politicians and activists and maybe uh, uh, editors and things like that. I mean, uh, there is uh, another case in 2012 when uh, the editor of uh, Jacobin uh, supported something like that. I mean... He said that the uh, capitalism, most specifically the American capitalism, is under challenge, not by an oppressed proletariat. I, I just read his phrase now, but by an underused one, seeking both sustenance and dignity in an increasingly automated workplace. So these kind of opinions 
uh, create, uh, you know, uh, thoughts about how we will coexist with technology, with robots, with uh, maybe uh, unemployment. But on the other hand, there, is, there are different opinions that say that uh, if you see the whole history through the ages, you can see that technology always changes things, changes the, the rules. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you can compare uh, robots with combustion engine, then you can say that combustion engine created more jobs than it actually destroyed. Mm -hmm. So maybe robots or new technology, kai technology and, uh, and uh, all these things around robots may create more jobs or make our lives better on the basis that we can have more free time or we can uh, work in more uh, high quality things. I mean, uh, things that need more um, knowledge or more experience or more thought to be done. And uh, this way we give robots and engines and all high technology the boring stuff to do and we do all the interesting stuff. This is a different opinion. Uh, if you want mine, because I think this yes. is why you are here, I think that uh, technology and robots is not the, uh, the threat here. I mean, uh, we, we all know that all these things, technology, uh, see, for example, television or electricity or um, combustion engine, we, this is how we use it. And as long as there are discriminations inside the society, then the, the, the problem remains the same. And I, uh, as long as we have people that can use technology or can use robots, so uh, they uh, take advantage of their, uh, uh, of their uh, capabilities and this way they can gain more money. I mean, the rules of the system permit them, permit them to make more money because they can take advantage of the robots. Uh, then, yeah, I agree with uh, left-wing uh, opinions. But uh, if we change the, change the rules a bit and uh, we can say that, okay, it's not, it's not uh, necessary to work, let's say, 40 or 50 hours a week. We can work 30 and have more free time for us to do other, other things maybe art, I don't know, then we can always use these machines to create qualitative time for our lives and at the same time uh, stop this discrimination, I can say, between different classes of the society. So it is how we will, as a as human race, how we will decide to use this technology and we cannot uh, per se, uh, condemn the the use of robots or stay behind and say we 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 don't need robots or we don't need new technology or we don't need new machines. 
is how we will use it and we'll use them and uh, what we will decide to do for this uh, discrimination and different different levels of uh, access to them. This is my point of view. If hmm. Magali, I agree. I fully agree with you. And uh, I can also tell uh, uh, to our meeting that a few years ago, I have talked with a philosopher or something like that. And he said that we need robots for three kinds of jobs, for dirty, dull, and dangerous things. Three Ds. Remember that, he told me. Nice, nice said. <laughs> three Ds. Dirty, dull, and dangerous things. For yeah. example, when, it, when it's dirty, I mean, sewages, they, they can uh, control, monitor uh, the sewage channels uh, underneath the big cities. They, just three examples. They can do uh, dull things like uh, in automotive, automotive uh, factories, big uh, factories, and they can do also dangerous. Uh, they can um, uh, we can use them for dangerous things like cleaning uh, uh, nuclear centers, for example. And uh, but on the contrary, we have Baxter. You know Baxter, the humanoid robot. Some three years ago, it was introduced mm -hmm. in American uh, uh, factories, and it, it's quite cheap, and uh, it is programmable, because you can uh, program it to do whatever you like, whatever, I mean, within some limits. And uh, there are some things, but uh, there are some negative things also. A few months ago, uh, we had the first death, the death of a worker. It was killed by uh, a, a robot in a, uh, in Japan, I think. It was in a, a factory in Japan. So, what to think about it? Let's think back about uh, 70, 80 years ago, when uh, Asimov uh, presented the three robotic uh, laws, the laws of the robots. Yeah, yeah. I want I want your com uh, comment on that. Yeah, you know I'm not uh, very afraid of uh, this kind of things. I mean, yeah, I know that uh, all these science science fiction novels or uh, movies uh, are dealing about how robots uh, understand that they have more power than men, and then they take the power and so on and so forth. And uh, the last one I saw it, uh, it was uh, this one. Uh, it's called Ex Machina. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But the, the, I, I, I am not worried about something like that. I'm more worried that we will use technology the way we do all these years. I mean, if you are rich, then you have access to technology, and if you are poor, you don't. This is one thing that I'm, uh, I'm concerned about. The second thing is that we will use them wrong. And the wrong way to use them is to say that we will uh, exchange or we will uh, give human jobs to robots, not for uh, let humans uh, start something d different or think or read or deal with arts and things like that. But we will do that, so we we raise the unemployment rates, and then we have cheap uh, labor for other things. 
this is the wrong way to, to use this kind of uh, technology. So these two things is uh, the two things that I am concerned about. And I don't, I don't know how we will do it, but um, to be honest, I'm not very optimistic about that. Um, my opinion, um, to be honest, is that it's uh, BS or superficial uh, politicians crap that they don't really know anything about. Um, robots have been here in the industry for a lot of years. They've been doing a lot of jobs. Nobody has realized it, but now suddenly that we have robots in our house and you have um, Amazon Echo talking and learning from a Siri on our phones or Google Now learning. And suddenly they're all worried who's going to take over our jobs. I remember this conversation like in the 70s um, when it was purely hypothetical, but now robots are everywhere. It's just machines doing um, doing work that humans cannot do. And now let's, let's get a little bit serious. Really, nobody's going to replace a human being that's going to cost like, I don't know, $100,000 all his life or let's say $200,000 to be a better figure with a robot that costs one or two million to do his work. It's not totally worth it. And I think this is just politicians who don't actually know what all this means and how people's lives can improve. Just to give you an example, think about carers. It's very difficult. We're all aging. Our populations are aging. Who's going to look after us or all the old people? Imagine if you had a robot that could take care of all these uh, people in the houses, people who live alone, or replace, not replace, no, just you know, have more nurses in the hospital, and uh, that will improve our lives. The conversation just for the conversation of saying they're going to raise unemployment. No, it's just people are going to switch to different jobs because let's, robots are robots. They're machines. Somebody has to fix them when they have problems. It's just now we call the washing, uh, the washing machine uh, technician to fix it when it breaks down. In the future, we'll just be calling for a specific robot, somebody to come and fix that robot. Like our washing machine will be a robot. It just won't have a figure of a human being, which just be another robot. So we will again need a technician. The difference is people have to educate themselves for the new era. In my opinion, that's that's different, and that's where politicians should be leading uh, should be leading us. And, Helping people understand, not making them feel scared. That doesn't help us. That was that's, my two cents. That's that's the period of adoption, and it's always difficult because jobs are being lost and are not being replaced with other ones. Three years, five years, ten years—that's the intermission, let's say. Yes, but that doesn't have to do with um, um, with robots. That's got to do with politicians. Anything could overtake uh, yeah. our jobs. Like, let's say aliens come to to Earth and they start take they 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 have the physical capability of doing things like um, carrying big weights, and suddenly we don't need all these weightlifting machines. And what is that? Then are we going to turn around and say, what about all these people that were working on these machinery? So it's a matter of adapting, I agree with you, um, but it's also, in my opinion, a matter of informing everybody properly and doing something about it before it's too late. Mm -hmm. So right. to, go to, to go to our next one, um, 
I want I want to open a conversation with Saki and security. Saki, are you here? I want to hear your opinion. By the way, when I'm saying you're here, I want to be honest with everybody. We're over Skype. Uh, we're testing this out, but hopefully in the future we'll again we will try. No, hopefully we will surely try to be all together and do a podcast. But we just want to try this out. So do bear with us, Saki. Well, first of all, um, I would like to tell my point of view on artificial intelligence. It's a, it's a subject that I really, really love. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I've seen all the sci-fi movies from uh, Minority Report to uh, Who Doesn't Love uh, Terminator. <laughs> so um, just before I, I totally uh, tell my point of view, I just want to tell a short story. One, uh, a friend of mine just recently um, made a, a big birthday present for, for him, for his mom. So what he ordered was uh, uh, basically a robot that uh, whipped the floor. It's not a big deal, but uh, once he gave uh, the present to, to his mom, she was ecstatic. That, that's exactly his words. Uh, it was like seeing myself when I got uh, my first PlayStation. So imagine how a 40 or a 50-year-old uh, uh, woman reacted as soon as uh, she could uh, just, she, she didn't have to do uh, uh, any, any chores, any weeping on the floor or anything else. It, it caused her great relief. And that's why uh, robots uh, are here for. They're supposed to do all the dirty work, as we said. They're supposed to make our life easier and simpler. So, um, as for the whole education thing, uh, I believe that I wouldn't like to talk about politicians. Uh, most of them are not really aware of technology. Uh, they're not open-minded. So, they just are afraid of uh, what they don't know, um, as most people do. Because uh, the, the, the fear of the unknown is, is really big. Um, and I also would like to say that artificial intelligence is a really, really big trend, right? Um, even Elon Musk and uh, Sam Altman uh, created a, a fund uh, doing research on artificial intelligence, which was just like uh, a couple of weeks ago, if I'm not, uh, if I'm not wrong. And basically, Elon Musk is the founder of Tesla Motors. Uh, a big entrepreneur, uh, and so is Sam Altman, which is the president of the Y Combinator, which is a, a startup incubator accelerator program in the US. So since they believe that artificial intelligence is big, uh, it will be in the next few years. And what we have to do is prepare our children uh, in order to, to adjust in a really fast uh, uh, growth hall. Saki, I'm afraid I will have to pressure you on, um, on your topic. I agree with you. And first of all, I would agree on what you said concerning um, I'm scared of what politicians don't know. But let's go. You did an interview with Zimmerman um, from Silent Circle. And I think you learned a few things about that. And I really want to hear about that. Well, exactly. Um, I was really lucky uh, to, and I had the chance to interview Phil Zimmerman. Uh, while we were at the Mobile Web Congress uh, this year, and uh, hopefully we will be there again in uh, 2016. Um, so uh, Phil was uh, uh, is is an expert in in security, 
and uh, he is the co-founder of Silent Circle. For uh, those who don't know what uh, Silent Circle is, uh, basically uh, it started as a, as a software company, but it uh, gradually moved into a hardware company. So uh, they're selling nowadays uh, really, really, really secure uh, smart devices, smartphones and tablets uh, that are combined with uh, the, the same software in order to have uh, secured uh, communication and data transactions. Um, so Phil uh, was telling me about how important uh, it is, uh, how security is really important, especially for companies and enterprises. But what I, I really wanted to ask him about is how uh, people don't really uh, understand and appreciate that the data that they have and are so willing to, to share with the general public through social media, through uh, their IoT devices they might be using, um, can be really, really important for other people in order to take advantage of the data. Um, Phil mentioned a, a really nice example, uh, telling us that while you have your smart uh, TV on your city, um, there's a, a camera on, on the smart uh, device, the, the device is connected to the internet, and if someone could hack into your smart TV, it would be, it would be really easy for him to watch uh, the whole family and uh, to see if uh, anyone is in the living room or someone is not, uh, how many people live in that house, uh, what are you actually doing, and it's pretty invasive, uh, as you can understand. So uh, I think uh, it's really important for people to, to be educated and under, understand that all these devices are here to make our life better and, uh, and uh, have access to a lot of uh, services and information. But at the same time, we have to understand not to share all that data with everyone else. Um, moreover... Well, what I, so what are you suggesting? So people should be scared? Is that what you and Phil were trying to say? No, 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 no. I think that they should be more aware uh, of uh, how they share their data. Um, you, can, you can always uh, protect yourself. You can always have uh, security cameras in your house, for example. But if someone has access to, to your security network and uh, has access to your cameras, then it's not that uh, safe, is it? Yes, but you were, you were talking about something completely different because it's a different thing when you share and you do it yourself and it's completely different when somebody um, sort of hacks into your data. Well, exactly, but all those devices, uh, they're all connected to the internet. So if you make the mistake, for example, uh, to, to let people know what you have, for example, uh, I, I buy a new uh, smart TV, or I buy a new iPhone and I'm just uh, posting it on Facebook. So everyone knows that I have a, a new camera or a new iPhone or a, a new uh, smart TV. So why, why should anyone know that? This is what exactly I'm, I'm saying. Well, you're, you're talking about common sense, but um, apart from common sense, somehow people need to be protected on, a, you know, on an everyday basis. Okay, somebody learns you have a smart TV. And somebody is bad and they want to hack you. Um, they can hack you. 
that's the truth. But uh, it's really difficult for somebody who's naive or ignorant about technology to protect themselves. And I agree with you on being aware, but I don't think it's that easy. Yeah, uh, my point of view is, sorry guys, uh, that it's too difficult to know everything and know how to use these machines and uh, how to uh, protect your privacy. So this is, I think, what uh, Phil Zimmerman said and what they do in his company. They try to uh, hide all this uh, complexity uh, mm -hmm. from the user. So you don't need to know everything, and uh, you just need to know some things about, uh, for example, do you want to share information with this guy or with this company? And that's all. The, all the other things, the underlying uh, complexity about information sharing, privacy, and uh, this stuff are hidden and uh, uh, from my uh, my opinion is that they should be hardened enough so uh, they are not shared with uh, the companies. I mean, there are too many data that we currently share with companies, and we know that there are a lot of economies based on uh, and models based on this. I think I think you're right, Miguel. It's an open conversation, and. Um, there's work to be done on that. Uh, I think Yanis will, uh, second, you can come back to you if you've got something else there, but I want to uh, talk with Yanis. He's going to talk about an EU law on cybercrime that is being, um, that involves security. So uh, maybe this would be a good point, Yanni, if you can tell us what's being uh, programmed, what's being scheduled. Psyche uh, said that if they hack you, the magic word, if they hack you, then there is a security breach. And if we have a security breach, then we have a law dealing with this issue. This is the first pan-European cybersecurity law, and it will be enacted, I think, early next year, because uh, we had uh, some uh, discussion. It was only a five-hour-long discussion, only. There wasn't some. It was in, many. In European, between the European Parliament and the individual governments. That means it's a very grave issue, in my opinion. And everybody is concerned with this. And everybody agrees that something has to be done. So uh, I will tell you just the main points, quoting uh, Telecom TV uh, new network and information security directive codifies legal responsibilities of internet companies. That's first one. Second, those classified as essential services must report all serious breaches of their networks and systems. And who, which are they? List includes the likes of Amazon, Cisco, eBay, and Google, but not social networks as Facebook and Yahoo. And last but not least, firms face fines of 5% of global turnover if they fail to report incidents. That's a very, very heavy penalty. Well, that sort of explains how come Twitter sent us sent out notifications on um, government monitoring um, um, Twitter accounts. It's interesting. It sort of happened the same day. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, why now and why so hard? Because trust and security are the very foundations of the digital single market. Who says that? 
Andus Ansip, the former Prime Minister of Estonia and the European Commissioner now on these issues, responsible for these issues. So uh, he's very, very, very serious on that. And I think that we'll see many, many things in uh, next months, next year. Well, it's always the politicians. I'm sorry, Vageli. It's always, I don't know if you feel the same, but it's always the politicians coming behind the scientists and the technology. <laughs> exactly. And That's we, it. Are, we all are many years in this, industries, in this industry, and we see the same thing happening uh, all the time. I mean, uh, companies or, I don't know, uh, scientists or uh, institutions, they lead all this uh, progress, but uh, policies and uh, politicians, they come, uh, they come behind to cover all these things afterwards. And when, when they actually do that, it's too late because there is another uh, technology, another uh, scheme that they have to work and uh, and write a law or something, uh, so we so they can protect our privacy. So, mm -hmm. uh, from my point of view, uh, most of the times it's too late to wait for a law to protect your privacy. It is necessary, but we have to find a way to be more proactive. Mm -hmm. than waiting for the technology to come there and then try to to get ready for it. Mm -hmm. you, you are right, you are right. Psychis, you have a comment on that? Yeah, well, the thing is uh, that it's something really, really above us. Um, we've seen the last years with WikiLeaks and the NSA that a lot of the information and data that are generated within uh, many apps and uh, many social media networks, and, and even emails, uh, that you don't really know who gets to see all that data. So the thing is that, uh, as a, an Accenture uh, report uh, recently stated, that 54% of digital consumers are cautious about the information they share. And this is due to lack of confidence uh, in the online security uh, that protects their personal data. Um, and also uh, mobile apps pose the greatest risk to privacy um, because whenever you download an app, they will obviously ask you if they can access your private data, meaning your contacts, your friends, uh, their phone numbers, their emails. So everything, gets open to the public and whoever uh, uh, asks for a, a terms and agreement, uh, no one really reads it. So automatically, just by uh, clicking on the, on the menu button that says, uh, I agree to all the terms, then you, you are willingly allowing everyone to access your data and do whatever they want with that. So, so this, this is a big conversation. conversation. I think we've got to wrap this up today because we've already been talking about 45 minutes here. Um, I want to thank everybody for being on this uh, podcast. Hopefully we'll be back with a second podcast. So thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you all. Okay, this was Tech Talk Central. Uh, Vagelis, Yanis, Sakis, Marcus, Marcus and Lucas listening. And this is Vicky.
So goodbye from Tech Talk Central. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. You're listening to Tech Talk Central.